0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers, Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. Today, we will be listening to a sermon by Creflo Dollar. Now, I made a little bit of fun of Creflo's unfortunate last name, or perhaps it's fortunate, considering the fact that He is a prosperity preacher. That said, he is an excellent preacher. And if you don't know him, you should, if you care about this sort of thing, if you're a Christian, you should give him a listen because he is an excellent preacher and he's been doing it for a long time. If you, (coughs) excuse me, if you're a skeptic, you should also know who he is because a lot of people listen to him. And he speaks very rationally, and uh, those are the scariest kind, because for a certain type of ear, they make the most sense. Now, I'm going to pick up this sermon. I don't know exactly how long it is. It's somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. Most sermons are somewhere in that Uh, time, and I will assure you, uh, you can believe me or not, I have not listened to the sermon. I have listened to bits and pieces of it, mostly in the very first part of it, just to make sure of what the subject is and that it's the sort of thing that I'm going to want to talk about. But other than that, I don't really know what he's going to say, and so we'll be listening together, and uh, this sermon is already in progress.
1: Let's listen in. So uh, today what I'm going to do is wrap up this series on financial stewardship. We've been, this, is a, this has been a two-month series, and I am so proud of our church for being able to sit for two months and to listen to a series of messages that I would like to believe has changed your life and changed your perspective and your relationship with God. Amen. Amen. And so this
0: already, uh, he started off aggravating me a little bit. Uh, so this is a series that's going for two months and it's changed in his mind. This series has, uh, potentially changed the lives of the listeners and changed their relationship with God. This is a man who thinks highly of his ability to preach, (laughs) um, I've I've preached for a while. I never really put that much weight on any one sermon. Uh, I believe that I was effective uh, for the time that I spoke, but I I never really thought this way about any sermon or any series of sermons. And If I did, I certainly wouldn't have said it out loud, and so this tells you that you're dealing with something maybe a little bit different than what you're used to.
1: Good morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach the final message in this series of sermons, and I saved this one for last. You know, most of the time when people do any type of teaching on prosperity, they start off with the giving piece. Uh, and that is an important piece, but I thought it was more important for you to understand that your heart needed to be in the right place, that your motives needed to, need to be right, that you were motivated not by greed and that you're not motivated by trying to get stuff, but that when you understand the right motiva- motivation behind it and trusting God and doing things out of the love of God and seeking God as the priority in your life and not seeking things, then about time we got to the point of talking about giving, you would understand that it's giving with the right heart. It's giving Proven to yourself, you can trust God. It is giving out of the right motivation, and that you would understand at this point that if you don't have the right motivation, and if you're not motivated by love, then your giving will have zero benefit to you. Other, I just want to pause uh, right there for a moment and say, can you
0: see how compelling and almost beguiling? His uh, his speech is I I could have amended every bit of that. Now for the, for the record, I was not a part of a prosperity type of movement. We would have called them all crackpots and scammers. So this is he, he's not speaking to my religious tradition here. But his last speech there is something that I think uh, would play well in any uh, Protestant church. It it, it all makes. Perfect sense so far. And so you might be wondering, oh, well, this is this is not a
1: give-to-get kind of guy. Let's lean in. Well, indeed. Let's lean in. People may benefit out of your giving to them, but you won't benefit any supernaturally in any supernatural way if you don't understand the right motive and the right reason behind it all. And that... Okay, so this is the
0: <clears throat> the first real clue that we're dealing with a prosperity teacher, <laughs> Uh, because he is linking supernatural benefits with giving. Now, I don't think that you have to be a quote-unquote prosperity teacher to make this leap. I think that uh, a lot of mainstream Christians make this leap, that there are some supernatural benefits to giving. Uh, But I, I, I sense that we're going to go
1: much further here. Fact that God has created this system for us. He didn't create this system for himself. And so today I am going to talk about the obvious piece and that piece is about being a giver. One of the things that Taffy and I have come to understand is there is something so significant that happens in the life of a believer when they begin to give. At that point, maybe we didn't understand all the intricate deca- details that were involved and why people seemed to, you know, be able to get a hold of spiritual things and the things of God once they started giving. And yet, it's, it's a vital thing. It's, it's just to be very blunt with you that now we know that if you're not giving, you're not really trusting God. Now we know that giving is uh, proof that you trust God, that Okay, this is, now we're all
0: the way in it. Um, Giving is proof that you trust God. Um, I know what he's going to say next, and so I'm gonna uh, let it come to a point, but I I, I have
1: something very specific to say uh, about this. Uh, You can say, I trust God, but how do you authenticate that trust? You authenticate it through your giving. And so I want to go through several scriptures here today and to show you the promises that God has made to people who will be givers, and that God's not asking you to give because he's trying to get something from you. Now, some preachers may ask you to give because they're trying to get something from you, but God set the system up for you. And remember, it is not the giving of money that's responsible for the manifestations of what grace has made available, it is you giving Proving that you trust it is trust that will withdraw what grace has made available, and your giving is the only way that you really prove that you trust God because okay I got that's
0: that's where I got to stop you right there uh, Greflo um, all right so what he does here he makes a maneuver uh, that a lot of Christians make it's uh, it's kind of a bridging maneuver, and it's done in things that don't have anything to do with giving. But this is certainly one of those uh, places where it's done. So Creflo Dollar wants to avoid saying that you give to get, okay? Because even prosperity teachers know that that is not a good message. That does not play well. <laughs> um, it doesn't play well with um, non-Christians. It doesn't play well with Christians. It just makes you look like a con man. And Creflo Dollar is trying very hard to not look like a con man. Okay? He, he wants to look as legitimate as possible, and it, it really is a bad look to just come right out and say, you give so that you can get. That just sounds like a a scheme. And so he uses a different mechanism, a bridge. He says the same thing, but he says it in a way that is far more acceptable. And I I want you to be aware of this maneuver, not just with this sermon— but with a lot of sermons. So let me, let me just hang a lantern on it right here. He says, you don't, you don't get the blessings because you give. Giving isn't what unlocks the blessings, right? So that's, that's a good soundbite right there for him. You get the blessings, you unlock the blessings by trusting God. That's the bridge. That's the maneuver. And, and what he does is he simply ties trust to giving. How do you show that you trust God? You show it by giving. In fact, he, uh, he said there at the end just before I interrupted him, giving is really the only way... To show that you trust God, so it's it's not your useless money that's that's that has nothing to do with it. It's your trusting in God, but the way to show to manifest your trust in God is to give a lot of your useless money. <laughs> so that's the that's the maneuver. Uh, I call this out. Because there are plenty of Christians who will hear this and say, you are right to call that out, and yet they will use the same maneuver. Here's how they do it. They will say, they will insist to their dying breath that works are not what saves you, but faith. It is faith alone, grace alone. This is all that saves you. It's not your useless works. Amen, brother. Preach it. <laughs> Except you show your faith by your works. By the way, this is this is directly out of James. So how do you unlock the gifts offered when you give faith? Well, you unlock it through your works because your works are what shows your faith. You're not being rewarded for your works. No, 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 no. You're, you're only being rewarded for your faith, but your faith is only any good if it's the kind that manifests works. So they get a chance to use this double speech, this kind of bridging maneuver, you say no, definitely, you are not saved by works. However, a saving faith is one that manifests works. And so, without the works, you're actually not saved because if you don't manifest works, it shows that you don't have the right kind of faith. This is exactly what he's saying about trust and giving. It's not the giving that unlocks the blessings, it's the trust. Ah, but the only way to show the trust is to give. Be aware of this maneuver. I've got a feeling that
1: we will see it a lot. Jesus talked about being faithful in the area of the least, and money is the least use of your faith in the kingdom of God. And somehow, way, he knew that if you could, could give money and give financially, that you wouldn't allow money to be your source, but God would always be your source, and you would use money to serve God rather than serving money and believing that it could take care of all of everything in your life. And so let's look at the importance of giving, and this morning I want to call this sermon, The Power of Giving. And let's begin in St. John chapter 3, verse 16, and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but they should have everlasting life." One of the things we've established here is that God is a giver. God trusted that what he gave in Jesus would be enough to be the answer for, for mankind. And so he gave his only begotten son. He gave something very expensive, something very valuable, the most valuable thing that heaven possessed. He gave it. And then got it right back. Follow the bouncing ball. But God gave it. He so loved us, he gave. So you see the connection between the love and giving. What was his motivation for giving his son? His love. What should be our motivation for giving? Love. And when love is your motivation for giving, according to 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 3, he says, you can give all your goods to the poor, to feed the poor. You can give your body to be burned or go through burnout, but if you don't do it with love, it profits you nothing. So everything we do, whether it's giving, whether it's serving the poor, whether it's ministering in whatever area of ministry, if it's not motivated by love, the benefit to you will always be zero. Now, let's go to the book of Psalms 107 and let's walk our way through the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about sowing or giving. When we talk about giving, we parallel that with a term that the farmers use when they plant or sow financial seed into the ground. And the Bible has some things to say about that. And so- okay, I just wanted to point out
0: uh, his use of sowing and tying that to finances, sowing financial seed into the ground. Um, technically uh maybe true but generally well there was a time when the purpose of sowing was to have enough food to eat <laughs> it wasn't uh it wasn't about getting rich these days i'm not entirely sure what farming is about um you can grow c- corn and i don't know get paid not to so, so I, I'm I'm not entirely sure these days, but when he's talking about sewing, um, I think he's talking about it maybe in a slightly different way than uh than how it may have been looked at once upon a time. So for him, sewing is just another way of saying financial investment. In Psalms one oh
1: seven, verse thirty-seven, um Verse 37, and he says this, "'And sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase.'" Sow the field, plant vineyards. It will yield fruits of increase. And so, one of the things I want you to to understand is that we have a God of increase. God is a God of increase, amen? God has increase on his mind. But you can never expect increase to show up in your life if you're not willing to sow. You look at other people and you may say, well, they must be special, or God loves them a whole lot more than me. No, Uh, uh, it's a farmer who says that I can't expect to get an harvest if I don't sow. Well, so likewise, spiritually speaking, in our lives as Christian people, if we don't give and if we don't sow, then we we don't set ourselves up to, to receive increase in our lives. And I'm not just talking about increase in one area, but there are increases that can come in lots of areas once you begin to live the life of the sower, live the life of the giver, and you can begin to expect to see increase. Things grow as a result of it. Look at Psalms 126 and and verse 5. Now, one of the things that, that I want you to see is motive is everything. Motive is everything, and yet if you just give to get, it won't work, it doesn't. I've tried it, other people tried it, give to get doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to uh, pop in and say, yeah, this is exactly the message that he is trying desperately to avoid presenting. Because he knows that give to get is a classic charlatan tactic and it's been kind of ripped apart uh, in, in many ways by this point. So he definitely wants to avoid saying that, if at all possible. And yet, if you look at what he is saying, it amounts to that at the end of the day.
1: Let's listen. What you have to do is give out of the right motive. It's the motive that determines harvest. It's the motive that will determine whether your benefit or return is zero or something happens. What moved you or motivated you to give? Psalms 126 verse 5 says, "'They they that sow in tears shall reap in joy.'" In other words, it won't always be comfortable to sow. It, It won't always be, you know, the right situation to sow. There may be times where, you know, your bills are demanding of you certain things, and then you make a decision, I am going to give to the kingdom of God. You know, but the Bible says when you sow in tears or when, it, when it's hard for you to sow, when you sow in tears in the midst of situations, in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of lack, the promise is that you are going to reap in joy.
0: Okay, I, I'm sorry. This is, this is perhaps the most disgusting aspect of prosperity teaching. And, uh, and it needs to be called out. And you need to recognize it. Furthermore, you also need to recognize that this is teaching that non-prosperity teachers will often turn to when it's time to bring up the giving. Because every church goes through this period. Uh usually happens every year, but every church goes through this period where the collection plate starts getting a little thin and the bills start getting a little high and they have to Uh, go to Giving Month. It's like a telethon from hell, Um, and it's it's all about giving and getting that uh, collection plate full again. So they will often turn to this very passage of Scripture and use it in this same way, and it is perhaps the single most disgusting thing that churches do. And, and churches do a lot of things that I consider pretty disgusting. But in this case, you are particularly he is particularly appealing to people who don't have the money. They don't have the money. They really don't. They can't afford it. Um, they can't afford it. They have to buy food. They have to pay rent. They have to pay their light bill. Uh, I can't show you how many people... I have seen come to the church asking for help with their light bill because their power has been shut off. Now, these people have tithed, <laughs> but, but they didn't have enough money uh, to pay the light bill. They've uh, been coerced to put money in the collection plate, but they are in line at the food kitchen uh, when it opens because they don't have enough food to make it through the end of the week. I have been in the line, folks. I've, I've been there. I know exactly what that's like. And I understand the appeal of this kind of teaching that says, even though it's hard and you don't have any money, this is the whole widow's mite thing. I, I imagine he will get there. I'll try not to stop it if he does get there because it always shows up. The, the widow and her mites, um, she puts in her last two cents into uh the collection plate, down to the last penny. At no point did anyone stop to say, hey, look, I happen to know this is your last penny. Maybe you should buy a crumb of bread. No. She was praised by Jesus, lauded by Jesus for putting in her last penny, giving it to God. That's a giver. That's disgusting. It's disgusting when Jesus said it. It's, dis- it's even more disgusting when Creflo Dollar says it. Yeah, you don't have enough money to uh, pay your bills, put clothes on your kids' back. But if you trust God, if you really trust God, you'll give. You'll sow in tears.
1: And let, me, let me hit play. I've got to go throw up. Amen. Now, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4. Verse 4 says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. In other words, he promises that if you get so focused in on what's going on in your life, if you get so focused in on what's going on in the world, he says it will have the capability of talking you out of your sowing. He says, so if you if you observe those things, you will not sew. If you observe, baby need to pass shoes, look, you got a light bill due, you will not sew. Okay.
0: I mean, he's just saying it. He's just <laughs> he's just spelling it out. <laughs> How dare you put shoes on your baby's feet <laughs> or yours <laughs> when God needs the money? How dare you pay your light bill? Thinking that that is more important than putting money in the collection, I—honestly, how does this guy have such a following?
1: That's interesting me how people think sometimes. You know, you got, uh, you know, $50, dollars you fussing with God about sewing, and uh, yet the light bill is 112 You ain't got enough anyway. You follow what I'm saying? And Jesus told us what to do when when you don't have enough, put it into his hands. You know, it was the same way when they didn't have enough to feed the multitude that came out to hear Jesus preach. And there was a lad, a a little boy, that bought a two-piece fish dinner, and Philip said, this is not enough so that everybody would eat. And Jesus said, bring it to me. And they took that little snack and put it in the hands of Jesus. He took it, he blessed it prayed over it, then he distributed it to his disciples. And notice what he said. He said, I want the disciples now to give it to those who are reclining and at rest. See, there's something about people who will rest in confidence that God is gonna take care of them, amen? Amen. And he gave, and everybody, the Bible says they ate and they were full, and after they had eaten and full, there was some left over, and the boy who had the snack went home, he had 12 baskets, that word basket is the, it describes a basket large enough to hold a man. It's the same Greek word that we use basket when Paul hid in the basket and they lowered his, him over the wall. So, this basket was big enough to hold a man, and he went home with 12 baskets that size full of groceries. said, Mama, I left with a snack, but I got some eating. I got some victuals here for the next several months, amen. So, don't observe the wind and don't observe the clouds, but make your mind up that I'm a giver, I live to give, that I don't work my job to make a living. I work my job, the Bible makes it very clear, I have a job so that I can have to give to those who are in need, amen? Amen. So, my job doesn't take care of me, God takes care of me and I give to live, amen? Now, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3, and I want to slow up here in Proverbs 3, verse 5, because in Proverbs 3, verse 5, it, it, it without a doubt makes the connection between trusting God and giving to God. Trusting God and giving to God. So many people, we know how important it is to trust God. We know how important it is to 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 rely on him and to lean on him. We were saved by grace, but how do we get it? Through faith. We were saved by grace, but it manifested through our faith. So we're not trying to say that your giving will get God to give you something. All that God has ever wanted to give you, he's already given you and has made available to you through the grace of God. But now it will require your faith and your trust to walk in it. It'll require your faith and your trust to see it manifested in your life. Now, notice what he says here in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. Now, again, let's define that word trust. It means to rely on. It means to lean on confidently. When you trust something, you trust it to such a point that you'll lean on it. That's what you're relying on. That's what you're depending on. And right here he says, trust in the Lord. Lean on God. Rely on God. There's so many things that we've learned to lean on and to rely on, and, on those, and it may not be God. And, and what's going to happen when those things that you're leaning and relying on, what happens when they fail? Then you don't have anything to, re- to lean on or to, to rely on. But if you will make a decision that I'm going to, from this day forward, trust God, and I'm going to lean on God, and I'm going to rely on Him, He'll never let you down.
0: Now, just remember what he said toward the beginning of the sermon, the only way, the only way to show your trust in God is to give. So, when he he is focusing on leaning on God, and relying on God, and trusting on God, he's already defined what that means. That means that you have to give, you have to rely on God down to your last penny, because it's it's not your job that sustains you, it's God that sustains you, and it's not the money that you make from the job that sustains you, and so um, don't worry about that. I, I suspect he's going to come back also to this uh, part of the passage that says, lean not on your own understanding... Uh, And if he doesn't, let me just cast that out the way I've heard it uh, preached many, many times, uh, especially by prosperity uh, type teachers. What he is saying is you may not understand how you are going to take care of your needs. Uh, You know, as an accountant, you may do the math, you may do the calculations and come up short and not understand how you're going to get that done especially if you're trying to factor in a generous contribution to the church. But your understanding, your knowledge is useless in this case. So don't count on your ability to do math and accounting. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> just, uh, just let your mind go and give it to
1: God and trust God. He'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he'll never change the deal, praise God. He's in it for, for life, if you're in it for life. And I'm telling you, we need to learn how to trust God now. Don't wait until it's too late to start trusting God. Don't do like those five foolish versions. They waited until it was too late to go and try to buy oil for their lamps, and it was too late and the door was shut and that was it. Don't wait till it's too late. Learn how to trust God now. Act now,
0: before it's too late, <laughs> before the before the deal uh, expires. Um, like this gets sleazier by the moment, and uh, I thought that it had pretty much hit its sleaze factor. One of the things he said earlier, I just kind of let it go. Um, uh, let me just uh, mention it here uh, in case he doesn't uh, come back around to it. He was uh, focusing on the idea that... God has already given you everything that he desires to give you, and you, in order to unlock it, you have to stay within the plan. Don't leave. Don't walk away. Don't decide that you're too broke, that, that things aren't going well for you, and the preacher's getting rich and you're getting poor. Uh, you, you've got to keep going. You've got to persist in the plan. Never stop giving, because... Uh, it's it's kind of appealing to a sunk cost fallacy almost. You have put this much into it. You already have the prize. The way to really get the prize that God has set out for you is to stick to the plan. Keep giving. Keep believing. This is how um, prosperity uh, teachers and faith healers end up preaching at congregations full of poor people and uh, sick and handicapped people. This is how they do it. Because they don't promise you the prosperity right now or the healing right now. God has already given you the prosperity and the healing as long as you stick with it. Don't 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 look don't use your own senses to see that this isn't working. <laughs> Stay with it or
1: else you'll lose it all. And act now before it's too late. God loves to be trusted. He wants you to rely on him and trust him in for every area of your life. He wants you to trust him where your relationships are concerned. He wants you to trust him where the raising of your children are concerned. He wants uh, to be trusted where your emotions are concerned. And yes, he wants to be trusted where your finances are concerned, where your debts are concerned, where your needs are concerned. At the end of the day, God wants to sit back and hear you declare before all men, This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. But that starts when we start trusting him. Now, you know, you can see this from a religious point of view, and you can say, well, yeah, yeah, I trust the Lord. Are you a giver? No. Well, you don't trust him. See, now we have a way to authenticate your trust. Religion can just say a thing, but where's the proof in what you say? And when you're willing to be a giver, and you're willing to be faithful with giving and receiving, and you're willing to say, I trust God in the area of giving and receiving, then you trust him.
0: Have you noticed that uh, the God itself, the God claim, can never be falsified? Uh, Someone like Creflo Dollar would never give you a scenario where you could falsify the existence of his God or the faithfulness of his God or the love of his God. That's that's an unfalsifiable claim. However, your trusting God, that can be falsified. How can it be falsified? Let's just see how much you give. If you don't give, then you don't trust. It's a simple falsification claim, but it only applies to you. It doesn't apply to your hidden God.
1: It's not enough to be religious and say, well, I'm a Christian. Oh, yes, of course I trust the Lord. No, you don't. Because if you did, you would be a giver. If you did, you'd be a tither. If you did, you'd give offerings. And that is what authenticates true trust in God. And I think it's time for us to trust God because God says, if you can trust me with money, you can trust me with anything. But God is saying, this is not about trying to get me to do something I've already done for you. I've made everything available for you. My grace has made everything available for you. It's about you proving to yourself that you can trust me. And the question from heaven is always going to be in a time of need, can you trust me? Can you trust me? When somebody's sick with a bad disease and the doctor, can you trust me? When the man's knocking on the door trying trying to take your car, can you trust me? When the job closes down, God says, can you trust me? You know, every now and then in the midst of a hard time, the Lord will tell you, go to sleep because there's a tomorrow. In other words, don't, don't, don't put all your marbles in today. He said, it may not look good today, but there is a tomorrow. I'm going to work. I already got your back. I knew this was gonna happen before it happened. Don't let your emotions start talking, getting you to say things that's going to challenge what what I've already decided to do for you. There is a tomorrow, and I believe that's what he meant when he said, reaping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There is an in the morning in all of our lives. Amen? So, don't quit. Don't give up. You know, well, you know. I need the money by tomorrow." Well, God might be saying, well, whatever you need the money for, you didn't need that, so I'm trying to get that out of your life. So, you have to trust God enough to believe even when the money doesn't come up. Lord, I trust that there's a reason why it didn't show up today, or I trust there's a reason why this didn't happen. There's a reason why that didn't happen. You know, we pray for God to direct our lives, but when he starts directing our lives, then we want to, you know, ask a million questions. Well, how come I didn't get what I wanted the way I wanted it when I wanted it? This ain't about you.
0: Yeah, so how dare you uh, question God when you follow through and your expectation didn't come true however you can be questioned anytime you don't put money in the
1: collection plate are are you getting this you can't yield yourself to god and say lord use me the way you want to use me and he starts doing it now you get upset because he's not using you when you want to be used like you want to be used and where you want to be used all right Uh, you woke up on that one didn't you Trust in the Lord with not some of your heart. Learn to trust him with, with all of your heart. And notice what he says, and lean not. So that's, that's what it means, to so trust the Lord means lean on. He says, but I don't want you to lean or don't trust in your own understanding. Trust in the Lord and don't trust in your own understanding. Don't trust in what you understand about a thing. Now, it doesn't make sense to take your livelihood and give it away. God knows that. That's what he's trying to tell you. Don't trust in what you understand about a thing. Trust me. Don't trust in, you know, you hang around the world for so long, you hang around how they do things for so long, you find yourself trusting it more than what God says. He says, be careful. Trust me more than you trust what you understand. Trust me more than than you trust what you you heard. (laughs) Trust me more than you trust the research they said and they said. Who is they anyway? They didn't lift you up out of a pit. They didn't save you and rescue you from a hell. They didn't didn't help you the last time you were in the situation you're in right now. Trust him. Trust him more than you trust what you understand. All right? So, in the midst of him, look at verse 6 now. So, verse 5 is talking about trust. He says, now, in in, the second part here, "In, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Now, I know what I have to do to prove that I trust God. I know what I have to do to authenticate my trust that I say I have in God. Through my giving, I authenticate my trust in God. It's the same thing with acknowledgement. When I acknowledge God, I acknowledge him through my giving. I am saying this is real. I acknowledge him through my giving. I am saying that this is authentic. I acknowledge him through my giving. He says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. And what will happen? He'll direct your path. He'll direct your path. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, or respect the Lord, or reverence the Lord, and depart from evil. Verse 8. He says, it shall be health to thy navel, look at there, and marrow to thy bones. So, man, trusting God and acknowledging God, man, this is going to affect even some physical parts of my life. Amen? Now, look at verse 9. Now, he's, he's tying it together. He says, honor the Lord with thy substance. Oh, my goodness. Because honoring the Lord with my substance is trusting in the Lord and leaning out to what I understand. It's acknowledging him in all thy ways so he can direct my path. Well, how, how, do I, how am I going to do the previous scriptures we just talked about through honor? Honor the Lord with your substance and with, all, and with the first fruit of all thine increase. Now, let's look at this in the Amplified, verse 9, because this is, this is key here. This is what's gonna separate those who walk in the grace of God and what grace is uh, made available to them. Um, And let me make sure you understand, grace is available for everybody. What I wanted you to hear and what I wanted to, let me better articulate this. This is gonna determine whether or not you can lay hold and apprehend what grace is already made available for you, all right? The Amplified says, honor the Lord with your capital and sufficiency. So, I wanted to show you that he's not talking about something spiritual.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to let him uh, go through some more. I just want to make sure that uh, you think about this in a very clear-headed way. Honor God with your money. I mean, that's that's literally what he's saying here. But by the way, uh, probably not wrong uh, in the interpretation of this particular passage. Uh, prosperity teachers—I'll <laughs> get hate from, from Christians on this, but then again, I, I I get hate from Christians anyway. Prosperity teachers are not entirely wrong— about what they're saying about what the Bible says <laughs> so um, they are they're actually on pretty firm ground I think and uh, not just from a New Testament gospels red letters kind of way I think some of some of what they are saying at least from uh, the perspective of what Jesus had to say is off base because Jesus, was not a classical prosperity teacher. In fact, uh, in my book, Red Letters, uh, the, uh, A Closer Look at the Worst Moral and Practical Teachings in History, uh, I point out Jesus actually was opposed to prosperity. He was no big fan of prosperity. Everything he had to say about money uh, pitted having lots of money in, in a bad light. And having very little money in a good light. Uh, now there are reasons for that if you haven't read the book yet uh, go over to uh, patreon.com/red letters get a free copy uh, of the book when you become a member uh, hang around for a few weeks uh, if if your your conscience just can't stand the guilt of getting a free book when you could have paid for it for 499 so hang around for five weeks it's a it's a dollar uh, per podcast so uh, hang around for five weeks. Pay off your book, <laughs> which you don't have to do. Um, but uh, that said, uh, yeah, I think I think they are off base mostly. Uh, so there are some caveats that uh, there when it comes to the red letters. But I don't think they're off base when it comes to their citing of Old Testament scriptures, because the Old Testament was all about prosperity. Uh, they didn't have a heavenly reward to look for they had a prosperous life right here on earth to look for that 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 was the promise there it was about money and lands and servants and uh homes and things if you will that that was um that was definitely a part of the reward and a part of the expectation, and if you didn't have those things, if you were poor uh, and destitute, it would not have been considered a blessing from God. It would have been considered that you must be doing something wrong, uh, and so, uh, right, prosperity. Now, the prophets, on the other hand, they were uh, they were kind of extreme, so... Uh, they may not have always been uh, prosperous. I'm, I'm sure that there were some very prosperous prophets, but um, prophets were uh, were a little touched <laughs> in some ways. Uh, just see John the Baptist and work your way backwards. Um, they um, they sometimes wander around in the desert um, wearing uh, animal skins, uh, and I don't mean fine Corinthian leather. <laughs> And uh and eating bugs. So um that said, the the promise for the average person was a sense of prosperity. And so they're they're not wrong. Uh Creflo is not wrong here. Let's let's pick up. I'll I'll probably come back on this. Honor the Lord which is spiritual substance, which you're I remember what I was about to say now. So um The image that had come in my mind uh, at that point was uh, Star Trek V, the worst Star Trek movie, possibly the second worst Star Trek movie, to be perfectly frank, but one of the worst Star Trek movies ever made. There were 10. Uh, Some were so obscure you probably didn't realize there were 10. Um, But it has the best line, I think, of any Star Trek movie possibly of any movie, where uh, Kirk is on the um, the planet with the God who is demanding his ship, and he says, why does God need a starship? <laughs> so, and, I mean, that's just uh, one of those clear-eyed questions that should make you go, hey, wait a minute, he's got a point. <laughs> why does God need a starship? So this is the moment in this sermon where you should scratch your head and say, why does God need my money? (laughs) Why does God's honor depend on my money? Why am I honoring God with my money? That just, that seems like a really strange thing to honor God with because by, by the time Jesus comes along, God isn't even a big fan of money. So the idea that you would, Honor God with your money is not something that prosperity teachers invented. They're just using it. It It's right there, but you should be scratching your head, asking yourself, what does God need with my money? Or my honor, for that matter. But why does he need me to honor him with my money?
1: Yeah. No, 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 no. Money. (laughs) Substance. He says, capital and sufficiency from righteous labor, righteous, I say, I say, I say, righteous labor, (laughs) and with the first fruit of your income. So he's talking about income. So how do I honor the Lord with my money? How do I honor the Lord with my capital? Because when I honor the Lord, I'm gonna be trusting him. When I honor the Lord, I'm gonna be acknowledging him. And those previous scriptures, will be made available to me when I honor the Lord. Well, let's, let's give a, a definition to the word honor, uh, and then let's tie this, this in with what he just said. To honor God, literally the word honor means to carry weight. It means to weigh in. Um, The word honor means that when you honor God's Word, for example, more than anybody else's Word. Why? Because His Word weighs in. His Word carries weight. His Word becomes more valuable than anybody else, what anybody says or what anybody does. His word is what is honored. His word is priority. His word is first place. When you honor your mother and father, their words carry weight in your life. If you bring old Waldo home and mom and dad are picking up, he ain't the one, and you go and say, he ain't the one, then you honor their words more you do the words of your friends. Well, I think he's fine. Yeah, but my mom and dad have said something something ain't right. So, when, you, when honor is working, then that, 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 those words carry weight. Those words weigh in. Are you listening to me? So, to honor the Lord with your capital simply means that I'm going to allow God to speak to me concerning my giving and I'm gonna allow his word to carry more weight. What he's already said to me about being a giver, what he's already said to me about being a tither, it, weigh, it outweighs the bills that are due. It outweighs the lights that are off. It outweighs, oh, that, that bothers people. You mean to tell me you'll tell people to bring their money to the church when they lights off? Yeah, because they ain't got no other way to get it on. They need Jesus. You're thinking about somebody going to do them a favor. You know, family ain't as giving as they used to be. You go to, you go to aunts and uncles after a while, they get tired of paying your light bill. They say, no, I can't help you this month, Bubba. Right. See, after a while, you're going to have to learn how to depend on Jesus.
0: Yes. Just so you know, the church isn't going to pay your light bill either. They, they might do it once. I have found some of the least generous churches in in this regard to be the biggest and the wealthiest. They didn't get that big. Paying your deadbeat light bill. Get a job, fool.
1: I mean, what does everybody else do? You know, you can't take the ones who depend on Jesus and then you, you know, they depend on Jesus, but you depend on them. (laughs) Now we can make this easy. Let's all depend on Jesus. Preacher come called me. I preacher one time called me. He said, Pastor, I need you to send me some money to meet my budget. Help me (laughs) understand why you can't do what I do. I give. I trust God. I sow. I prove to myself that I can trust God. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I honor God. It is an honor to God when I choose to be a giver, even in the midst of something else trying to make a demand for that. And when God sees that you will honor him with your money, then the Bible promises he will give you honor from him. But the issue is you keep trying to carnalize this and say, well, now I got to have my life. Well, in the future, you're going to have the same situation happen, and in the future, what if that person's not there? In the future, what if they lose their job? In the future, with your idolatrous attitude, when you replace God out of number one spot, and put that other person or thing in that spot, what happens when that substitute fails you? And it will fail you. My advice is to never move God out of the number one spot. He will never leave you, he'll never forsake you, and he will always be there right on time to take care of you.
0: I I just... I'm sorry, just a quick observation. Uh, having been there and having heard this line uh, enough, this, this is a nuance that maybe you have picked up on, maybe you haven't. Whenever a preacher talks about how they give, and sometimes they make even quite a show of how they give, they uh, put money in the collection plate just like every, everyone else. The vast majority of that money in the collection, collection plate, or at least a, a very large portion of it, goes right back to them. Because it's their ministry and the preacher is often the number one expense of a ministry. <laughs> and so uh sure. They uh they tithe, they they get it back. It's kind of like God giving he, he gets it back. Um so sure, I'm I'm sure he uh puts a nice donation in his collection plate. I wonder how much money he puts in someone else's church, though, you know, some, some church that doesn't pay him. Just curious.
1: But the issue is, will you honor him? Does his word carry weight? That no not matter what, what's happening. When this ministry was in a $20 million deficit, we sold. We were given to other ministries when we needed more than they did, why? Because it was an opportunity to show God that you carry more weight. And something else that's trying to demand this. Well, I guess
0: that answers the question. He gives generously to other ministries. I will just take his word
1: for that. I will not. How many opportunities have you had and chose not to honor God and you honored your fear more than you honored God? You honored the fear of and the panic of, but what if I don't do this and what if I don't? And this is the thing, you're panicking about something. You really, I mean, you're sitting up there worrying you know, about, well, I'm not going to give this... Gu- I also want you make
0: a brief note. I know I keep going back, I keep getting stuck on this. But having been there, <laughs> I know that a lot of you have not. And maybe you don't have this, haven't had the same access. Many, many preachers do not have bills. They don't... A part of their pay, if you will, from the church, uh, their house is paid for by the church. Their power is paid for by the church. Their cable is paid for by the church. Uh, In many cases, their car is paid for by the church. They have a clothing budget that is paid for by the church. They don't have bills. So um, bills, that's kind of a theoretical idea for them. Uh, But, you know, if if they put all of their money into the collection plate, they'd be just fine. They'd be okay because it's covered. They don't have bills in the same way that the president of the United States doesn't have bills. Uh, so it, uh, yeah, the president pays taxes. Okay, but while the president's a president, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want for anything. And the same is true for preachers, especially preachers in large churches. Uh, please don't get sucked in by this nonsense of how preachers uh, tithe, and that's how they unlock their blessings don't, it's,
1: it's a false equivalent. Don't let them make it. Uh, and you ain't got but $5 anyway. God is going to do your $5 a lot more, a much better than Wells Fargo. God is going to give you a much better interest rate. But you won't ever learn that until you understand the vitalness of honor. I honor God with my money. Not just with my mouth, with my money. The Bible in the New Testament talks about a lot of people moving their mouths and saying what they say, but their heart's not, not with it. That's another trust test, whether well, I honor God with my money. Because to honor him with my money is saying, I trust him with my money. I acknowledge him with my money. I honor him with my money. I give him the right to speak into my life and to be obeyed. I changed my life when I recognize that I will honor God with my money. Here's the promise. Honor the Lord with your capital and sufficiency from righteous labor. Honor God, first fruit of your, your income. I got another revelation out of the first fruit. In other words, he says when you get some money, the first thing you do is take God a piece off. I don't know if you have to have a jar or something, but if somebody gives you $100 a day, take a piece of that and put it in a jar and say, this God's here. This God. Well, I ain't getting no jars. But whatever you got to do. You can write, you can write something here in, in, in the bank and have them. Every time I make a deposit, put a little something over here for God. But that, 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 that's, that, you always have something to honor God with. Always. But if you don't think about God until you come to church, then you might not ever have nothing to, to give to him. Just think about him all the time. Lord, ain't ain't no, ain't no telling when I might need you. Let me go and put a little something over here. Amen.
0: That is just blatant gift to get. I don't, I don't know when I'll need you. So uh, let me put some of this investment in there. Really, Christians, um, I know that skeptics will speak out. Will the Christians speak out against this?
1: Jewish boys were raised to understand the importance of, of, of how to respect money when it came into their hands and how to take care of God, how to pay themselves so they'd have something to purchase business with. We got we to do that. It's, it's what you do with what you have in your hands while you got it in your hands. Huh? Turn your neighbor and tell them to wake up, because I'm not going to shut up. <laughs> Somebody said, Pastor, I need one of them sabbatical things, too. <laughs> no, you need to learn how to go to bed early. Amen. Yeah. Honor the Lord with the first fruit of all of your income. Now what's the promise? Verse 10. So shall your storage places be filled with plenty. Now, they amplified it. The the, the King James says your barns will be filled with plenty. Your storage places, that would include a savings account. Huh? So will your storage places be filled with plenty, and your presses shall what? Burst out with new wine. Isn't that the same way of saying breakthrough? How many of y'all ready for some bursting out? I'm ready for you to have some bursting out in your life. I'm ready for you to come to church and you ain't got no financial problems. I want you to come to church and say, I got a half- up problem. But no more financial problems. I mean, if I were to take a, about a show of hands, how many people having financial problems right there? Hey, almost everybody here raise their hands up. How many want prayer for finances right there? How many can use $100? Well, you know, are right, you gonna give it, you know. <laughs> That's the least area where our faith should be used. And yet, it, it appears to be the number one area, the number one area that the majority of Christians deal with. Why is it? Because it's the only area that we hadn't completely turned over to trust God to take care of.
0: seems like he just suggested that if you need money, then you're not giving enough. Did, did anyone hear, hear that? <laughs> did I just make that up? If, you know, how many of you uh, are having some financial problems? Looks like everyone raised their hands. Uh, and he, he calls that an area of uh, of where, where the faith seems to be lacking. Uh, so just remember that, uh, Christians, if you've got financial problems, it's because you're not giving enough. And uh, honestly... If you had enough money to, uh, to buy lunch for work or buy shoes for your kids and you're still having financial problems, well, that's your problem right there. You shouldn't have bought lunch for work and you shouldn't have bought
1: shoes for the kids. We compartmentalize our lives. Over here, Lord, is our marriage and our healing and our children. You take care of this. Over here is our money and we're not ready to give all that to you now. It's the only area you hadn't completely turned over to God. And it's the area that seems to be the irritation for most Christians. Turn it over to Him. Trust Him. And it'll stop being an irritation to you. The Bible says that He will get money through you if He can get it through you. Let me back up. Uh, I say, Because I can't find no scripture where it says that. I can think a couple of scriptures like when he said to Abraham, I will bless you so you can be a blessing. A blessing is an instrument by which God can flow his favor through you in order to get it to somebody else. If God can get money through you so it can touch somebody else's life, he can get it to you. But if he can't get it through you, there's really no reason for him to get it to you. Why? Because you ain't helping nobody but yourself. Can he get it through you so he can touch that lady that needs help because she can't work anymore because something's going on with her eyesight? Can he he get it through you because there's a situation that happened and those two boys lost their mama in a crazy, crazy situation? Can he get it through you? Can he get it through you to such a point that when a need comes up, your antennas go up and say, man, I got some stuff ready to be a blessing to somebody. If he can get it through you, he can get it to you, amen? So this becomes all of a sudden a pretty vital scripture where our honor, honoring God with our money is going to authenticate our trust. Honoring God with our money is gonna authenticate our acknowledgment. Do we believe that this is real then that God will direct our path? It'll change a whole lot of things. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting for something different to happen. And I see people who just like, I am not going to be a giver. And then you want to use everything as an excuse for not giving. Okay, I think,
0: uh, I think we've had enough of this. I've had enough. Um, this, this is how prosperity goes. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that I won't do other sermons on giving. It's a pretty common theme. And if you're going to do Sunday sermon, if you want to hear what people are hearing in the pews Every week, the average person from the average pew by the average preacher, you're going to hear this. This is going to come up in some form or other. But I have a few other things um, lined up uh, as well. And so I, I think we've gone as far down this road as, as I can go down without getting physically ill. Uh, I will leave a link uh, in the notes if you want to hear the rest of the sermon Uh, I am sorry, (laughs) you shouldn't want to hear the rest of the sermon, Uh, but if you want to hear the rest of this sermon, uh, you will be able to uh, find that link in the notes, and um, I encourage you to check out my other project, patreon.com slash red letters, we are going through my latest book, Red Letters, A Closer Look at the Worst Moral and Practical Teachings in History, you can pick up that book uh on skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com just click on the red letters tab. You can pick it up there it's 4.99. You can go to Amazon and pick it up there it's 4.99. Uh or you can get it free uh by becoming a $1 a podcast patron uh and that's uh, I think that's I think that's the news. Next week uh well we'll see what we have next week. I've got it queued up but I uh, juggling between a couple of uh different sermons. So uh, it'll be good, and uh, if it goes on long, I will cut it off, just like I did this one. But I think it's very important that you hear exactly what Christians are saying when they talk to each other in a church, from the pulpit, and in the pew. This is the doctrine. This is a no-spin, no, spin, no straw man zone. This is what they have to say. This is what they are teaching. And if you think for a moment... That I uh, when I when I cite preachers and cite Christian teachings that I am somehow making it up or twisting the words uh, for my benefit. Uh, this podcast is for you. I am not. You can hear it for yourself. We'll be looking at uh, a variety of denominations and uh, beliefs and backgrounds, and uh, it's it's all out there to be heard. And I've always said that when Christians talk, atheists win. I'm going to let Christians talk a lot, and I want you to hear what they have to say. Uh, And so, until next week, the Sunday Sermon will continue. Have a great week. Bye-bye.